We've talked about the importance of research and knowing your customers' pain points, yet some companies, especially 3PLs, feel like the marketing or the importance of marketing it doesn't necessarily apply to them because all 3PLs are quote-unquote selling the same thing. Well, in a new 3PL study that was just released, we've got some key findings to help you differentiate yourself from your competitors based on what shippers really want. Welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Brumley. And on the show, we talk about B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And in today's episode, we're talking about that new 3PL study that can help shine a light on your competitive advantages. And then we're also chatting with Gabby Salazar. She is a merchant mariner, and she is telling us about life on board cargo ships and how she's documenting all of it over on TikTok. And then speaking of TikTok, we're also talking with Corey Connors. He is the host of the Sustainable Podcast, Sustainable Packaging Podcast. And he's going to help us break down essentially what packaging concerns all small business owners and even regular business owners should be looking towards, especially if they're trying to be more environmentally friendly. But first, let's get into that first topic. And this is that new 3PL study. Because in, in several episodes, we have talked about the importance of research and knowing what your customers' pain points are. Well, in this study, we've got some key findings that are applicable, that if applicable to you and your company, they can be used to help differentiate yourself from your competitors. I want to give a little bit of background into this study before we dive into it, because I feel like it's important. So it's the annual third-party logistics study. It started more than 25 years ago. There's 86 total pages in this report that took me all of two days to really comb through. And the study's goal is to investigate leading trends and uncover how shippers and 3PLs can collaborate to improve service and drive value. Now, technically, this report is for 2022, but they compare it to 2020 or 2021, which is technically what we're in now, but the, the, the research of when it's conducted is always the year prior. So it's a good indication of what's gone on this year for life with COVID versus last Last year, where everybody was kind of trying to adjust to to this new pandemic uh, that that just upended every industry that that we've come to to know and maybe love and maybe hate a little bit. Now, this survey closed in July of 2021. It yielded 345 usable responses from both users and non-users of 3PL services and providers of 3PL services. So in case you're wondering, out of that 345, 51% of the respondents were shippers, 41% are 3PLs, and 6% are non-user shippers, which was the study, and, and I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing what the study said, but they felt that it was important to include in this study as reasons as to why some shippers choose not to use a 3PL. And all of the respondents were typically managers, directors, vice presidents, and C-suite executives. So we think of the leadership of the majority of companies that you're trying to work with. And the supporting organizations are Penn State University, the Reverse Logistics Association, the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, Consumer Brands Association, the Global Cold Chain Alliance, and then contributing sponsors are NTT Data, Penske, and Penn State University. No one paid me to mention any of those companies. I just felt like it was important to mention uh, the supporting organizations and the contributing sponsors. It's a ton of data. So let's go ahead and dive
dive into some of the, the key takeaways that I think will help 3PLs out there to differentiate themselves against their competitors. And it'll also help you out in your marketing. So the takeaway number one is the IT gap. The current year results indicate that 94% of shippers agree that IT capabilities are a necessary element of 3PL expertise. And 58% of shippers agree that they are satisfied with 3PL IT capabilities. So think of that. Think of that missing. Only 58% are satisfied with their current 3PL's tech offerings. So if you're a 3PL who's invested heavily in technology, you need to find more ways to sell the benefits of the technology that you've already invested in and how it will help shippers reach their goal. A little bit of a marketing copy tip. Remember, people want you to speak to the problems, but they decide to make a purchase when you can articulate the person that they can become. So selling the goals instead of selling the feature of what your technology offers. Let me give you an example. Let's think of a landing page of where we want to attract a shipper. Maybe it's on our website. Uh, maybe it's through a, another marketing channel. But the title phrase that you could be using to highlight that benefit, sample. Keep, know where your freight is 24-7, that opening headline. And then right underneath that bold statement, remember, you're trying to appeal to shippers. And you could say, spend less time calling your broker asking where a load is when you can easily track all of your freight instantly on our website. Bonus tip, if you can actually display what that experience would look like for a shipper that is tracking a shipment on your website. So if you can post a little GIF, if you can post a demo video so that the shipper has a good idea of the kind of tracking capabilities that you already have at your disposal, and then they can know ahead of time that, hey, this this 3PL is already solving a pain point for me. I don't want to have to pick up the phone and call them five times a day to know where my freight is. I can just track it immediately on their website. And if a phone call, if I need to make one, then I know I can make one after the fact instead of making it a guessing game. So that is a number one takeaway that I, I got from the study. Another curious tidbit from the study is that shippers saying that they were satisfied with 3PL IT capabilities rose from 27% to 54% in 2010, but has remained in the mid-50s percentile since then. This kind of suggests to me that with all the tech that's entered freight within the last couple of years, there's an educational opportunity here for 3PLs to market the awareness of a problem that they may not know that ship that, that shippers may not know that they have. And so that leads me into my next takeaway, and that's what shippers want and what they don't want. We're showing another graphic on the screen here that shows the level of interest and how it's increased for certain parts of the IT market by shippers and compared year over year. And so some of those, those few numbers that, that really stood out to me is control tower visibility, so tracking, asset management. It was 60% in 2022 compared to 37% in 2021. So that was the biggest jump out of all of these is that the that shippers want that control tower visibility. That is an increasing concern of them year over year. The second one that really stood out was the cloud-based solutions increased from 23% to 49%. Advanced analytics went from 27% to 38%. Um, global trade management tools, uh, that would custom, so think like customs processing, import-export docs, things like that went from 17% to 26%, probably shippers trying to reroute their freight from other ports and other areas of the globe in order to, to have a more, I guess, reliable uh, freight, reliable uh, pickup times, that sort of thing. So the last one, 
was a little confusing to me. And maybe somebody can help, you know, shed some light and shoot me a DM on LinkedIn or something. But the last one was a little confusing to me because they mentioned CRM. That was another one that jumped from 17% to 28%. I, I'm not exactly sure of why a shipper would need a CRM from a 3PL. So if somebody could help shed some light on that, I would greatly appreciate it. And I'm sure I would, you know, the audience would as well. Happy to share that in a future episode. Now, some notable drops as far as IT needs from 3PLs, scheduling, planning, network modeling, warehouse automation, warehousing distribution, center management. Um, these Those two graphs that we just showed you on the screen can really help you plan your messaging and content marketing for all of 2022 because it's showing you what shippers are interested in and what their decreasing interest levels are in as, as far as when it comes to technology. Now, the next takeaway, takeaway number three, 57% of shippers plan to reduce or consolidate the number of 3PLs that they use. This is the perfect chance for 3PLs to show off their carrier partners and abilities to help ease the frustration of having several 3PL providers. So that it kind of goes back to that saying of that you can win more business from customers that you already have instead of trying to waste a lot of time and money. And not necessarily waste, maybe waste is not the right word, but in investing that time into building up the relationships that you already have instead of chasing those new dollars. Especially if 57% of shippers are planning to reduce or consolidate the number of 3PLs, then that could be your in to say, hey, we've been successful on X amount of loads on this lane, um, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't, you, why don't we work together or find ways to work together more often? Um, so that was another really big takeaway. And one of the last takeaways is that ESG programs in, are increasingly important to shippers. Now, ESG stands for Environmental society, and governments. And among shippers, 59% indicated that their organization had an ESG program with defined goals and objectives. 51% indicated that their supply chain had an ESG program, but just under half of 3PL providers, 45% said their organization had an established ESG program. So transportation, warehousing, and manufacturing are considered some of the greatest areas of improvement. And the reasons why people want to, or shippers are really focusing on these ESG programs is that they know that their consumers care about where their products are coming from, if they're ethically sourced, um, things along that line, and, and supporting more uh, minority-owned business owners, things like that. It, these are all factored into the ESG of a shippers uh, of a shippers program themselves, so it's becoming more important to the shippers because it's important to the consumers, and that is increasingly becoming more important for three PLs. So if you don't have one, that could be a situation where you go in and you develop one. There are companies like XPO and Forward Air; they already have these declarations, ESG declarations on their website. And with programs like this, they usually start with shippers. And if you're trying to be proactive with some, with trying to generate more leads or develop a deeper connection with your, with your customer base or future prospective customers, you can be proactive about declaring an ESG program, adding it to your website and going to different shippers and saying that this is a value add that, Hey, we're, we're concerned about, you know, the, the environment, uh, society, governments, things like that, that, that we want to go act, go out there and actively proclaim that this is what we're standing for and that this is what uh, that this is what is important to us. And then the shippers, I mean, if they're they're if ESG is really important to them, then they're going to prioritize the providers that make it an importance to them as well because it's end to end. And in that same study, it said that transportation, warehousing, and manufacturing are the greatest areas of where of where companies and shippers can improve their ESG. 
So the study actually puts it best whenever they said simply stated there is no great there is a great need to recognize the transformational opportunities that can be related to the pursuit of sustainability and ESG. Effectiveness with this objective will require 3PLs and their customers to work together in pursuit of higher level aspirations. So again, if it's important to your shippers, if it's important to consumers, it should be important to your 3PL. Now, with all of this information, there was so much that I wanted to dive into. And obviously, I can't dive into every aspect of an 86-page report. But those were four takeaways that I think that uh, will really help to serve 3PLs and helping them to differentiate from their competitors. And so from now, you can develop that brand awareness campaign and get it ready for 2022. You can develop that educational plan. You can start becoming proactive with your ESG initiatives, and you can start the process of customer interviews in order to understand where their pain points are outside of this study. Because if you compare it with the insight from your customers and the insight that you can get from studies like these, then that will help you differentiate yourself. Even though 3PLs tend to think that, quote unquote, we offer we all offer the same services, but by telling your story online and educating your audience, you will be the person that they think of first whenever they need a problem that needs to be solved because they know about you and your brand and your messaging if you've done it right. We have some past episodes on this. We've covered this pretty in-depth of audience research and starting up customer interviews and even starting up subject matter interviews within your own organization. Those are linked in the show notes and in the show description. So be sure to check those out after the show is, is over, of course. I'll also list some other takeaways in there as well, because there, there were so many of them that I could not get to. And if you want to download a copy of that study yourself, I think you can go to 3plstudy.com in order to find the full 86-page report. It's free to download. Highly encourage that you go and download it. So for our next guest, I found him on TikTok and he was educating his audience. We just talked about the power of educating your audience about a very specific topic. Well, this gentleman actually does the same thing for his audience and he does it covering sustainable packaging. He's amassed more than 73,000 followers on TikTok. His name is Corey Connors and he's in charge of sustainable packaging over at Landsberg Aurora. Hopefully I said that correctly. So let's go ahead and welcome in Corey to the show. Hi, welcome in. Thank you so much, Blythe. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, so first question, how the heck did you get into sustainable packaging? How do you pick that as a career? Well, first of all, I want to say uh, that you said it correctly, Landsberg Aurora. I, I'm not in charge of sustainable packaging. I just am focused on sustainable packaging. Uh, I'm a, a packaging consultant. So thank you so much. I wanted to clear that up first. Absolutely. Um, I got into sustainable packaging very early in my career, I live in uh, Portland, Oregon, which is a very green, earth-friendly uh, area of our country. And so right off the bat, 19 years ago, when I started with Landsberg, uh, we, uh, they, they, my customers really pushed me into learning about sustainability. And uh, they eagerly wanted uh, recyclable, uh, environmentally friendly uh, packaging materials. And I had spent my first five years of my career uh, working at Warehouser making corrugated boxes. So I learned all about, uh, you know, uh, sustainable forestry and all of that uh, and how we actually make corrugated boxes. So it's been a great history there. Now, now what kind of products are, are you working with? Is it almost just, just anything imaginable or do you really focus on, on more of a niche 
within sustainable packaging. Because I've seen some videos where like you you um, test a wine bottle or uh, you know some other types of products. It, it, is it really everything imaginable, or do you do you focus more on a specific area? I think that's the best part about Landsberg Aurora is we do provide all kinds of packaging for all kinds of companies. I can work with a small startup and a $10 billion company in the same day. Uh, we do industrial and retail packaging designs, and we can uh, help with vendor managed inventory. I was just made a video about that. Things like that that other companies maybe don't do, uh, we'll step up and, and help be a real partner uh, with your packaging and help you with your sustainability goals in your packaging. Now, now when you start working with companies, are, are they kind of like small businesses or maybe they're larger businesses? What, what do they, what does that process look like whenever you're starting to work with them? Do you have to go through an audit of all of their products first and figure out what makes sense? Um, is, is, I, I imagine there, there's environmental uh, uh, suggestions probably with those recommendations as well. Is, am, I, am I totally off the point here or... How does it, I no. guess, the process work when you're onboarding a new business? Yeah, it usually starts with one project. They have a uh, you know a pain point that they're looking to fix, and we come in and we analyze what they're doing, how they're doing it, how we can help them improve that situation. Whether it's uh, they keep running out of stock or uh, they're having fail, uh, damage or failures with their packaging systems. Uh, there are all kinds of issues like that that we can step in on a micro scale or we can look at the grand scale of business and say, you know, and do an audit. We offer audits for packaging and uh, generally those are no cost at, at first, uh, you know, with the assumption that we will eventually earn the business. Uh, it's, a, it's a partnership thing and we really like to be good partners with our clients. But absolutely, it's like you said, it's across the board. We do all kinds of different materials and uh, can offer uh, automation equipment and, uh, you know, to brown boxes. So it's kind of all over the place. When does, because I saw a couple of your TikToks where you're actually testing the the packaging that you're, are, are you guys coming up with these different packages types uh, based on the product itself or are, are there solutions already out there and you're sourcing them? What does that process look like to even figure out what kind of package works and, and what doesn't work for your new customers? I think that's part of the 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 best part of this job is people bring these new solutions to us, um, especially with my new podcast, Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors. People will uh, send me their new sustainable packaging solutions. So I get to test them and see if I actually want to present them to customers. And then, uh, so we do, that was kind of a, a joke video where I, I dropped something from 12 feet in the air. But what's amazing about that packaging is called FlexiHex. It's totally paper, and it actually survived an 11-foot drop onto concrete, which was amazing oh, wow. to me. Uh, I couldn't believe it. A, a real bottle of wine. I dropped it from 11 feet in the air. You know, <laughs> not a sci- not a scientific study, but we do ISTA 3A standard drop testing and vibration testing, and uh, you know. Uh, altitude tests or whatever is necessary oh, wow. for our, our customers. Uh, you know, you have to think of a package. It's, if it's going over the Rockies, it's got to it's gotta be uh, able to handle that pressure. Or if it's huh. going up in an airplane. Uh, so these are things to consider that we and our designers uh, take into account when we're packaging new items. 
And so with, uh, you know, obviously the supply chain is, has hit mainstream news right now. How are you combating sourcing the materials for your packaging for your customers? Great question. And uh, we're not immune to those issues for sure, uh, but it helps to be part of a big company. We're a $3.8 billion company globally and uh, 55 locations in North America. So we do have some pull. And we do, uh, when things do get allocated, uh, force majeure, uh, we are uh, at, often at the top of the list to get those items. So um, I've been lucky to have no serious outages for my direct customers. Um, and that's taken a lot of planning. Uh, we've, you know, uh, worked with them to uh, plan ahead, you know, and we offer uh, uh, inventory programs where we can bring it in over several months and they will take it JIT and then we will backfill in advance of when they run out. Hmm. So you also mentioned that um, with packaging, the logistics part of it is also really important whenever you're bringing in a new business. Uh, How does that, and especially with the process of how to actually fit it on a pallet, what does that process look like whenever you're speaking with a client and, and trying to figure out you know, what kind of packaging? What, what does that process look like? And are they generally aware of the logistics challenges with packaging as well? Great question. I think a lot of customers forget about the fact that it needs to go onto a pallet. And uh, so we have programs um, that will... Um, maximize the cube out for a truck or for a container um, so that they're not missing any space. Um, and there's certain things like if if you're stacking chimney stack pattern with your boxes, there could be significant damage. If you stack them vertically um, and have the right stretch film or, or, or strapping, uh, your, your boxes will have a lot better chance. And you can even potentially down gauge the corrugated to save yourself money. So there's things like that that we're looking at that are going to help you be more sustainable and save you money and reduce damage. Uh, I always say there's nothing sustainable about returned product. Uh, so we, we want to uh, you know, make sure the items you're packaging and shipping are getting there safely. That's, that's really critical. And, and I think you bring up a good point because I was just listening to a podcast this morning that said that the majority of freight that is leaving the that is leaving ports in China, they're only about the containers are only about seventy percent filled. And so, for a lot of retailers, they need to be optimizing that space. And it sounds like they could be optimizing it even more in order to guarantee that they're going to have freight, especially for the holidays coming up as people start to panic more and more. But what about the smaller businesses that are, you know, maybe it's like a mom that you know doesn't want to go into you know a retail location anymore to to go shopping or even to work maybe she's starting up a little side hustle at what point does packaging and and thinking about you know maybe environmentally friendly is that something that is attainable for a smaller business that that can get you know that that good packaging and that's also environmentally friendly yes i often get these kind of questions um, on TikTok. Uh, you mentioned that when you introduced me. I appreciate that. Um, we, a lot of companies, a lot of people started businesses during this pandemic and right. um, didn't know what to do with packaging. And it's always, well, I shouldn't say always, but it's oftentimes the last consideration when making uh, their items is, oh, how do we ship this? And how do we do it sustainably and environmentally friendly? Um, so 
I can guide people through and we can guide people through that process of, okay, these are some stock items that will work for you. You know, there's there's materials like uh, Ranpak Giami, which are paper options to replace plastic bubble wrap. And uh, it's a stock item. You don't have to buy a truckload of it. You can buy a roll and, and it will protect your, uh, you know, the items that you're going to sell on Etsy or, or whatever retailer you choose uh, for your small business. Yeah, I, I, I saw one of your videos that I guess it was a, a customer that was selling scrunchy holders or something. And she used <laughs> to use bubble wrap and a lot of it, but then she switched to this different kind of paper that like expands. And so she only has to use a small sheet of it now, which those, I mean, for small business owners, th- those little things add up, those costs add up. And if you can guarantee that your your shipping or your your product will arrive damage-free, I think it's it's a really good thing, especially if it's environmentally friendly too. Now, you you work for a company that's that's been around for a while. What did they think when they heard of the growth uh, of your TikTok? Because like I said, you have seventy three thousand followers right now, and arguably it's a, it's a niche topic. But what did you, what did the company think of a you know this new social media platform and how you know people really seem to care about this type of content? You know, I'm really honored to work for Landsberg Aurora. I, I've been here for nineteen years, and they were incredibly supportive. Uh, it's not something that I told them about when I first started um, because I didn't think it would be a big deal. You know, my goal was 10,000 followers. Um, but when it kind of started to blow up and people really were paying attention, they said, Hey, we really like what you're doing. We like that you're spreading this message of sustainability because the Landsberg Aurora is very sustainably focused. And we are, as a company, making major investments in sustainable options. And uh, it's exciting part uh, to be a part of that. So yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. <laughs> That's always good because I mean, you, you think about companies that have been around for a while. You know, some of them maybe aren't as receptive to to newer social media accounts, especially one like TikTok that seems to have a lot of baggage on it. But it's my favorite social media platform. Is how I found you, and and now we get to hear yeah. you know more about cool cool topics like this. What about the ROI conversation? Does that ever come up, or are they just happy that you're you're making content about their their type of products? Yeah, the ROI is uh, is is something to consider when you're making content. Um, it's incredibly important to me that I'm adding value to uh, my followers with every post. And uh, I think that's the ROI right now. Uh, eventually, you know, we could get sponsorships and things like that, which are starting to come. There, People are interested in sponsoring the podcast and uh, making sponsored videos on TikTok. And uh, it's that's exciting too. It's exciting to be a part of this community of sustainable packaging. It's a real movement in the in the country right now and in the world. Frankly, it has to be uh, with the onset of extended producer responsibility, uh, which I'm not sure if you're aware of that, uh, but that is going to take hold quickly and change everything. Well, t- tell us a little bit about wh- what that is. So extended producer responsibility are laws that will require companies that manufacture or companies that use large volumes of packaging to, or any volume eventually, uh, to have a certain percentage of post-consumer recycled material in their packaging and make sure that their packaging is curbside or easily recycled uh, so that there, um, you know, there's and there's companies that are, are embracing this in advance of any laws. 
my friend owns a uh, recycling facility in South Africa that does PET bottles. And he said that the big companies are demanding uh, 60 plus percent post-consumer recycled material in their new mm-hmm. bottles, uh, which is great. This is going to help uh, recycling. It's going to help the environment. It's exciting. And speaking of it, kind of the, the recycle angle to it, because you, you also share on your account ways to reuse products that you might already have in your house. One of my more favorite videos that you showed, which I, I took a mental note of, is that uh, the, the lid to Parmesan cheese bottles, you can actually use that on a mason jar and, and vice versa, a, a lid for a mason jar on the Parmesan cheese. But I, I thought that that was such a clever use of just taking a product that would have ended up in your trash and then using it for something else that's a little bit more uh, user-friendly, I guess, for, for lack of a better phrase. Are there any other <laughs> items like that that are out on the market that maybe some consumers might not know that you can reuse them in different ways? Yes, I think it's exciting. And I have to give credit to my wife for that one. She told me about that. I, I hadn't realized the connection there. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, she's an amazing uh, partner in, in this whole thing too. She's helped me a lot. And uh, there are lots of products in your house that can be used for other things. Uh, Peanut butter lids also fit on those same jars and can be used over and over again. Uh, People are constantly finding ways to use jars. You can take a a baby food jar or any kind of jar and uh, screw it to the underside of a uh, shelf and then you can see in it what the what the contents are and easily oh. remove it by, by unscrewing it and that's something that i i learned from my grandpa he showed me how to do that and i thought it was really really interesting to use packaging uh in a new way so that that i think that that's a great moment to to end on is is finding different clever ways instead of throwing something out at first maybe just you know find another use for it within the house because that that will reduce the amount of consumption or the amount of products that end up in the landfill anyways. So, so Corey, I appreciate your time. Where can folks follow more of your work, uh, your TikTok, uh, podcast, all that good stuff? Yeah, it's all on my website, uh, CoreyGated, C-O-R-Y-G-A-T-E-D.com or uh, at CoreyGated on TikTok or Corey Connors on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm here to help. Uh, Landsberg Aurora is uh, uh, available to help with your sustainable packaging needs. Thank awesome. you. Thank, thank you so much, Corey. It was great insight to, to learn more about that, that different part of the logistics process. So appreciate your time. All right. Well, that was a that was a fun conversation because I that some of his TikTok videos, like I said, that the, the Parmesan cheese lid topper that that was one that really struck a chord with me because I just went to Amazon and I just bought a package of plastic covers for all of my mason jars that I seem to have lost all the lids to. So that was one that I could have saved a little bit of money on had I known that little tip prior, but now I know it for the future. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's go ahead and bring in Gabby Salazar. She is a merchant mariner of the Merchant Marines, and she's been somebody that I've been dying to talk to for a while now to learn about life out on those cargo ships. So let's go ahead and bring her in. Welcome in, Gabby. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming on the show. So uh, my, my first question is, why did you choose this, this career as a merchant mariner? Uh, do, do you remember what initially sparked your interest? Um, I grew up in the transportation kind of industry a little bit. My dad flew planes for FedEx. He was an airline captain. So 
I always had this love for travel and I knew I wanted to travel the world. And um, I got recruited to the Merchant Marine Academy for sports. So when that opportunity fell in my lap, I just couldn't say no. Now, when you say you got recruited for sports, uh, you were going to play sports for them or maybe at the, the, the Merchant Mariner School? Like, how does that, that, how does that, I guess, that process work? Um, it's a D3 school. So they just sent me an email saying that they were interested in me coming out and uh, touring the school. And I played basketball there for four years and um, it was it was great. And I loved it. So. That's awesome. I wouldn't, I, I would have just thought that maybe like a merchant mariner program would just be all about being a merchant mariner instead of like a traditional college. Is that, are you, are you taking, I guess, like traditional classes at, you know, a merchant mariner school or are you, is it just uh, like a regular college? Well, the Merchant Marine Academy is actually one of the five federal service academies in the United States um, next to the Coast Guard Academy, Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. Um, so it is not like a regular school. Um, we get a bachelor's of science either in marine engineering or marine transportation. Obviously, mine is in marine transportation. So you spend a year at sea and then you spend three years at school um, in order to sit for your either third mate's license or third assistant engineer's license at the end of the four years. And so when you're done with the the, the schooling part of it, you, I also saw one of your TikToks that you mentioned that when you become a merchant marine, you also have to enlist in any military branch of your choice. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Are, are you committed to a certain amount of training hours or, or other obligations? Um, yeah. So since the Merchant Marine Academy is a federal service academy, you do owe back time to the government since they picked up the tab for your schooling. There's no tuition. Um, so you can either choose to go active duty into any branch as an officer um, or like me, I sail. So we we are in the Navy Reserves as strategic sea lift officers is the official title um, of it. And I owe eight years in that, five years of active sailing and six years holding a valid license. Now, at, at your your official job title is is second mate, right? Um, so, what are your I guess like daily is is there a typical job day, or do you have like daily or weekly responsibilities that you have to take care of um, out at sea versus back home? Or are you kind of just free to do whatever you want back home, and the, and more of the the typical day is out out you know on the cargo ship? Right. Um, I, I do whatever I want at home. I usually travel when I'm when I'm home on vacation, but I only work about six six months out of the year. Um, on this ship as a second mate, I'm in charge of the navigation of the vessel. Um, I plan, I do the passage plans, the voyage plans. Um, I keep the charts up to date, the publications up to date, as well as stand eight hours of watch every day, whether it's a navigational watch at sea or it's a cargo watch in port. What goes into, I guess, like planning a passage? Like what what kind of things are you looking for? Is it more like weather reports or um, I, I guess like water conditions? It, it give us a little bit of breakdown of, of how you actually plan a passage. Um, so it's, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, I'm checking mostly waypoints. I'm checking to see if there's any dangers to point A to point B, basically one port to another. Um yeah. I'm making sure that all the charts are up to date for that week. They get updated weekly, um, making sure there's no dangers, basically, um, from point A to point B, ensuring the safe navigation of the vessel. And and so in one of your TikToks, you were talking about performing a safety check uh, for every single container on board, uh, but one was accidentally missed. And you said your chief made you walk <laughs> the plank. What does that mean? Because I imagine like a movie version of that, but I imagine they're probably not doing that in real life. 
Yeah, it's just a phrase that I used. Um, he just like wasn't like happy about it. Um, <laughs> you know, lashing containers is really important. Uh, and being secure for sea, that was kind of what the problem was, was the longshoremen hmm. um, in the United Arab Emirates left all of our lashing gear kind of just like sitting on the deck. And that's, so that's a big no-no uh, before you hmm. leave the port to go out to sea. You got to make sure everything is secure. So it, it had to be done all last minute, but it was a good learning experience and uh, never did it again. So... So you never actually had to walk a plank in a traditional sense of like walking no. out on an actual plank and like diving into the water <laughs> or something with your hands tied. No, um, no. <laughs> what kind of traveling do you get to do while you're, because you said you're out at sea for, for about six months at a time. Uh, do you get to, from port to port, do you get to actually explore the city of the, of the port that you're in? Or is it, you know, kind of dependent on, you know, how long it's going to take, you know, for, for the ship to unload or, or get loaded up? Right. Um, you do get to leave. Sometimes you spend about eight hours uh, doing cargo and port. I got to go to Spain uh, this last trip. We were restricted to ship for a really long time because of COVID. Mm. Um, so mm. when we were finally able to go out, it was really nice. I got to go see the Rock of Gibraltar um, on my off time. And my captain actually gave me some more hours off and we kind of shifted some hours so that I could go do that. It was really nice. It was beautiful. That's awesome. I, I imagine that you get to see a, a lot of gorgeous places. Do you have ports that you go to regularly and you get to kind of feel like a, feel like a regular there? Or is every new place kind of a new place for you? Um, I go to all different places from the Far East to the Middle East to Europe. Um, I've been all over and every place. I mean, I've, I've loved and I've loved learning their culture and the environment and I just don't think that I could pick one singular place that I love the most. Probably Northern Spain, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did look what we just showed one of your TikToks and it did look pretty gorgeous there, I have to say. Um, now, now with supply chain and obviously it went a little mainstream earlier this year when the Ever Given was stuck in the in the Suez Canal. I saw that you actually went through the Suez Canal. W were you affected by this delay at all? Or or was that something where it, it was just kind of like a industry hot topic? No, we were definitely affected. Every vessel honestly was affected um, in their mm. port time. This I wasn't on the ship when it got stuck in the Suez Canal, but when the ship came back to the United States, it ended up um, being late to a lot of the ports. So what happened was we actually skipped the entire port of New York um, and headed over the Atlantic Ocean back to Spain and back to all the ports that we had to get to because um, we just didn't have time. We were so off schedule. Oh, wow. So you were maybe one of the ones that were waiting and then y'all just would just to just go the opposite way and to, in order to guarantee, I guess, the freight that it was going to arrive on time. Yeah, that was a month later, though, after it got stuck. <laughs> so that's that's how much it affected not only us, but I know a lot of other ships that are affected. Um, the Maersk Denver was right behind the Ever Given when it got stuck. So um, it affected a lot of cargo and a lot of ports around the world. Oh, wow. So so what do you think went wrong in, in that situation? So you're in charge of, of planning passages. So what do you think went wrong with that one? Was it operator error or, or maybe it's too soon to tell as far as, as, as that specific situation? Um, so there was actually a lot of a lot of errors, um, mostly a blockchain, actually, of errors in that situation. Mm -hmm. There were about 40 knot winds that day. So that that'll definitely affect the vessel. Um the Ever Given is also, I believe, close to 400 meters. So it was very, it's a very, very large vessel. We were next to the Ever Glory before we went in. So I, I know how big it is. Um, they, so when they went in, they were overcorrecting 
uh, when they were steering to combat that, um, those winds. And what happened was, um, when a ship of that size is in shallow water and it gets really close to those banks, it creates what's called bank cushion and bank suction, where it'll pull hmm. the bow in and push the stern. So that's technically what happens um, in that situation. And when that process starts happening, it's very, very hard to stop. You know, you can't just stop ships on a dime. Um, so that's what happened. Um, I know that that captain and the pilot, I don't think they even wanted to go into the Suez Canal because of mm. the conditions. But six ships had already gone in and made it through the canal that day. So I'm sure that it was it was a hard decision to make and um, that they were probably pressured to go through. Sure. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a roll of the dice. But if you're expressing concerns ahead of time, maybe that that's a little bit to to cover their cover their butts in the long run. Hopefully, anyways, especially if they were you know expressing those concerns. Now, I, w- with my next question, I know this is anecdotal, but you know, after the Ever Given and and with your success that you've seen on TikTok already, have you noticed that your friends and family have started to care? You know, a little bit more about what you do. Maybe they're asking more questions, um, trying to get a gauge of like where you know, I guess sort of quote unquote regular people, how what their care level is when it comes to global logistics. Do you find that they're more interested or or sort of the same? Oh, absolutely. Um my whole family, especially my father, is just so interested in this industry. I don't think they realize how big it is. Um mm-hmm. as you know, you know, shipping takes up you know 90% of the goods that are shipped around the world is by ship. And um they're just they're just so amazed at uh, what these ships can do and and how important they are to not only the United States economy but the world economy. And and so with obviously there, there's you know it's speaking of this same trend of of everything that's going on with global shipping. There's a lot of drama that's going out at at the port of Los Angeles right now. Mm-hmm. What is life like for or what do you think life is like for for those people that are still stuck out there waiting for waiting to be docked and waiting to be unloaded? Are, are they kind of you know going stir crazy or is it just you know the the name of the game when you join the industry? What do you think life is like for them right now? Um, as for the seafarers, I think that they know that it's kind of out of their control. Um, I know that there's a lot of ships sitting out at anchor over there. Um, there's ships also sitting out at anchor outside of Savannah, Georgia, Houston, Texas. I mean, this is happening at a lot of ports. Obviously, the mm. port of L.A. is different um, because the longshoremen there don't work 24 hours. So I think people are just kind of waiting for... Um, to see where the cargo is going to go, I wouldn't be surprised if shipping companies just started skipping LA and going to other ports and figuring it out that way. What do you think that more people knew about the job that you do? Um, honestly, just how important it is. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's an industry that's so big, yet nobody knows about this industry and the career path that you can take. And I see that a lot on my TikTok. Um, people saying, I never knew that this was a choice, that this was a career choice. Um, you know, no one out of the five federal service academies were probably the least known in the United States Merchant Marine Academy. Um, mm. But it's a it's an amazing career. Um, it's always going to be important. It's always going to be essential. Um, and and yeah, I, I love it. What did you, when did you decide that you wanted to start documenting your career on, on TikTok? Because that's where I, I think it, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of people that are responding that they didn't even know that this was a career option. They didn't know that you could, you know, travel the world and essentially get paid to do it and have, you know, some downtime to explore different port cities. When did you decide that you were going to start documenting that part of your life? 
Um, my last ship that I was on, the mayor ship, I decided to just start start showing people what it was like. I didn't expect anyone to care, but to for, for everybody to see it and be so um, interested in it was really nice because to me and to other seafarers, it's just another day in the office. You know, our office just floats and is a thousand feet long. <laughs> um, so I was just really happy to see people engaging with it. And, and it makes me really happy to bring more awareness to the industry and especially to women in the industry. Um, we're such a small percentage and mm-hmm. I see a lot of support and it just, it's the best. And I hope to keep spreading awareness and, and keep teaching people about this, this vital industry. Let's talk a little bit about that with with women in the industry. I, I would imagine it's a small percentage, like, like you just said, of of mariners that are out on the water. What do you think are some of the the stop gaps of of what currently is keeping more women to join the maritime industry versus, or or maybe what the maritime industry could do more of to encourage more women to to become merchant mariners? Um, I think just in general, most people don't know that it is a career path. You know what I said before, mm-hmm. um, it has always been more of a male dominated industry, um, dating back, you know, years and years and years. Um, but I know that my school has been trying to get more women into this in there and as well as the other maritime academies around the United States. So it really is just like what I'm doing, spreading more awareness that it is a career path. Um, and it accepts all walks of life, all people, um, but yeah, it's um, it just needs to be talked about more, honestly, I think. And, and you're doing a great job of it, obviously, with your TikTok account. So what do you have? Uh, do you have plans in the future of, of how you're going to cover like your the, the next time that you're going out to sea? Or do you have, you know, different plans of, oh, hey, I, I should probably talk about this. Or I should probably show this side of it. How are you planning your content for that side to bring more awareness to, to the industry? Or are you planning that that far in advance? I don't really plan it too far in advance, mostly because I go to different ships all the time. So um, Mm. it just depends on what ship I go to. Um, Sometimes I get on government vessels where I really can't talk too much about it. Um, Sometimes I get on container (laughs) ships, sometimes tankers, you know, so it just depends on the situation. And um, I mostly ask my followers what they want to see. And whatever they say is usually what I go with. If, If it's a day that I can do it and I can film it. Um, I was a little hesitant to do it on my last ship because I really didn't know how Maersk was going to respond, but it's all been good. And, and, um, I'm going to continue to teach people about the maritime industry and all the different ships out there and what they do. Yeah. I'm sure they're loving the extra PR because I mean, especially (laughs) if nothing is going wrong, like on the ever given, but you're essentially giving them, you know, thousands and thousands, sometimes millions of views on their ship and on, on their products. So that, that's something that money really can't buy. So you're out here doing a hell of a job of it. Now, as far as your career, do you think that this is something you're going to stick with for a while? Or is this kind of uh, maybe a career that you wanted to do some traveling afterwards. Uh, what does your, I guess, your career look like within uh, being a merchant mariner? Um, absolutely. I do want to stay in this career for a while. What's really nice about it is there's always room to move up. So I started as a third mate. Um, now I'm a second mate. So the next goal is to become a chief mate. And then after that, captain. Um, and then the ultimate goal, I want to become a harbor pilot. So um, there's always room to grow in this industry and move up. And I think that's, that's something to look forward to for me. 
Well, that's awesome. I I appreciate your insight and, and perspective into this because I think that this is something that, you know, obviously it's becoming more and more mainstream, especially when, you know, Christmas is coming up and people are going to be wondering where their goods are. It's folks like you that are helping to to create those safe passages passage plans in order for us to to get the stuff that we need. All right, Gabby, where can, can folks follow more of your work um, and, 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 and learn more about you being a Merchant Mariner? Um, I'm on TikTok at Gabby Salazar 29 and that's G-A-B-B-Y. Um, Ga- Gabrielle Salazar on Facebook and Gabby Salazar on Instagram. All right. Well, I appreciate the the, the chat so much. It, it was it was awesome diving into a different perspective of, of life on, on different cargo ships. So I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That, likewise. So that was a, a couple of really fun conversations, especially from the from the perspective of someone that is on the other side of things and and you know trying to shed a light on on what things are or what life is like for folks that are out on these huge container ships. Which if you if you watch some of her TikTok videos, it really is incredible in order to see all of the. Um, it, when you see a container on the road, it's one thing, but when you see them all stacked on top of each other on a big cargo ship, it's a totally different mindset. And just to know that there are, you know, dozens and dozens of these ships out on the water at any given time. I think how the, the, the last report out of the port of LA is that there's somewhere over 50. I think that they're starting to get that number down a little bit. Don't quote me on that exact number, but it did reach upwards of, of 70, sometimes close to 80 ships that were waiting out there just to dock at the port of LA. So earlier in the show, we did talk about this 3PL study. And I wanted to kind of, since we have a few more minutes, I wanted to kind of go back to a couple of those takeaways that I didn't have time to, to jump into because I think that it's really important for a lot of uh, 3PLs to know how they can stand out from their competition in order to help their marketing goals in the future. So a few more things that, that I wanted to dive into as far as takeaways are concerned is one of those from that 3PL study. Again, this study is available at 3PL study. Dot com. You can download it for free. Uh, head on over to their website. They're not paying me to say this. I just thought that it was a really fascinating insight into, in, in, into what shippers want. 50% of those respondents were shippers. And then the rest of them were either non-shippers or non-user shippers, which means that they don't use a 3PL. And then the rest were all 3PLs themselves. So one of those key takeaways is that 3PLs indicated that they were better prepared to face a major disruption than shippers. And this was a curious one that said more than half of 3PLs, 55% reported that they were somewhat prepared with a level of readiness plan in place prior to COVID. And 25% said that they were prepared with a readiness plan in place. Among shippers, 43% said that they were somewhat prepared and 18 said that they were prepared. So just 4% of 3PLs and 5% of shippers said that they were unprepared. So I think that that was a, a nice little takeaway because no one wants to be caught unprepared, like the study said. And this was the interesting part. 96% of 3PLs and 100% of shippers said that they are enhancing their readiness and continuously planning. In the top five areas, 3PLs are currently working to improve based on current approved projects and budgets, our data analysis and visibility, labor management and scheduling, domestic transportation and logistics, and then warehouse distribution and automation. Now, the, the, the takeaway from that part is that with shippers and 3PLs thinking that they were prepared, 96% of them and 96% of 3PLs and 100% of shippers say that they are enhancing those plans. So while they quote unquote may have a plan in place, 55% of them said that they had a plan in place. All of them are reworking that plan uh, because of COVID. 96% of 3PLs and 100% of shippers. A couple more takeaways while we still have a couple more minutes that I want to squeeze in here is that 89% of shippers reported having a comprehensive 
cold change strategy. However, a smaller number of 3PL, 62%, agreed that shippers had a comprehensive cold change strategy. So for you reefer carriers out there, this is a good way to partner with your 3PLs and let them know that 89% of shippers think that they have a comprehensive plan, but really only 62% of 3PLs think that shippers have a comprehensive plan. So that tells me that there's a little bit of gap there of what shippers think they know and problems that they may need to become aware of. And so that is an opportunity for education for, for 3PLs out there, especially if you specialize in the cold chain or you have reefer assets um, or, or connections with reefer carriers out there. 68% of shippers believe that supply chains have become too global and must be rebalanced towards regional and local domestic ecosystems with a larger global enterprises. The majority of shippers, 83%, said that they plan to adjust sources of supply as a direct result of efforts to rebalance regional and local domestic sources. So that goes back to one of our earlier points that with, with a lot of the global supply chain just being disrupted, we all know that that has happened, but there are opportunities here for 3PLs to continue to be that industry insight and help to educate their customer on the things that they might be missing. That one number of a, a majority of shippers thinking that they have a cold chain strategy, thinking that they have a COVID readiness plan, when in reality, the 3 PLs think that they don't necessarily have those things all put together. So the three PLs need to do a better job of getting out there, educating their customers and letting them know of where those potential stop gaps can occur. Now, that was kind of a loaded discussion, especially with everything that's going on within the industry. But we've had a couple great guests on in order to talk about how they're educating their audience, especially when it comes to a niche topic. And two of the guests with Corey and Gabby both, they both cover a somewhat niche-based topic. It feels a little ridiculous to call, you know, billion-dollar enterprises or industries, quote-unquote, niche. But when it comes to the content that you're consuming online, not a lot of folks have any kind of awareness whatsoever about some of these industries. It's growing and it's becoming more mainstream. But I think by Christmas time, we're really going to see a dramatic change in, in just the overall knowledge and awareness of how the supply chain affects our everyday lives. And so your friends and family, if you work in freight, they're likely starting to ask you. If they're not already, they're going to be asking you very soon about how all of this affects their daily life and how you know they can avoid some of these problems of empty shelves and finding something you know to, to purchase around Christmas time. I'm I'm going this weekend to do Christmas shopping because I want to make sure that I have you know all of my gifts covered for all of the people that I'm buying for and I'm buying local and I'm buying in person. So it's a little bit of a different opportunity that if you know your stuff is missing on the shelves and maybe you can use that opportunity to direct your funds to something or or to people that that deserve it a little bit more than some of these big box retailers. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you missed parts of this episode, you can catch the replay up on Freight Waves TV. We usually do a pretty good job of that, of, a, of a, the maximum it'll be uploaded is tomorrow morning. So you can catch the full show there or in the Freight Waves TV app. You can find more of my work over at digitaldispatch.io. We'll be back here next week, right at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Freight Waves TV. And thank you so much. Once again, Blythe Friendly. See you real soon. <laughs>